0: So, this morning we continue this series in the book of Matthew, looking at the topic this morning of no shortcuts. No shortcuts. Sermon notes are in your bulletin. You can use those. There will be fill ins on the screen as we look into the Lord's word this morning. No shortcuts. In the summer of 1998, it was a summer between my junior and, no, sophomore and junior year of college. I served as a youth intern at my home church in Ohio. I was a youth group intern for three months. It was a great experience. Got to work under my youth pastor, learn a lot about ministry in that time. And that year, Like uh, last year was a life year. If you're newer to the Alliance, LIFE is the Alliance's youth conference for 9th through 12th graders that's done every three years. And so 1998 was a LIFE conference year. So I had that great opportunity to be a part of leading the group and learning how to lead a group and all those kinds of things as I did it alongside of my mentor in that, that summer. But part of that whole experience involved every morning at the conference itself when you were up till midnight, 1230, then to be up at seven in the morning for the leaders meeting. And at the leaders meeting, there was a focus given every day. Here's what the schedule is. Here's what you're going to be doing. Here's what you need to be aware of. This is what you'll be watching for. And so you got all the information that was going to be needed to lead your students through that day. But on the last day of the conference in that leaders meeting, the man in charge of the meeting talked about something that I didn't fully understand then, but I understand more and more now. And that is, he was giving us preparation and giving us insight that the youth were going to need, through our help and through the prayers of the church, the youth were going to need help because there would be inevitable spiritual letdown. They were there. In this time where there was constant worship going on, constant teaching, there was Christian support all around, there was Christian fellowship, there was fun. It was an environment that was kept focused on Jesus for a whole week. And they were about to go home and be smacked in the face with the real world. I didn't fully understand what all of that meant at the time, but I'm understanding that more and more. Because as I get older, I understand that there are times of spiritual high, but we can't live there. And that we are people who want the shortcut, aren't we? We are people who want to have the mountaintop experience that fixes everything. The the way to be able to change all of our life, ex- life circumstances in a moment. All you have to do is watch TV or read advertisements, and our world is full of this, that pill or that exercise plan or that diet that's going to burn all of that stubborn fat, and you're never going to have it all again, right? Or you're in charge of something, and you just need that silver bullet, that piece of information that you don't quite know that's going to fix everything or your marriage is struggling, or you're parenting, your kids need some help, or your finances are teetering on the edge, or maybe you're in debt. And what do you want? You want the three easy, quick steps to a better marriage, or to better children, better parenting, better finances. We want the quick fix. And I wish that the quick fix was there. Many of the parents who sent their children to the Life Conference that year I believe we're hoping that their children would come home revolutionized, would come home completely different, that those five days would completely alter them forever and ever. And most, if not all, of those students did have encounters with the Lord that marked them. But the majority of them did not experience the long-lasting change because of that. Why? Because as in life in general, it's true in the Christian life. There are no shortcuts. Deep, lasting change comes by engaging in the long and the difficult. Comes by walking your faith out and walking with Jesus day by day, moment by moment in increasing fashion. We love, and I believe we need, spiritual highs. But we can't depend on them. We've been talking in these last weeks about seeking the Lord for revival. And there have been great times of worship and prayer and learning and fellowship with one another on Sunday mornings and prayer groups and small groups. And all of those are good and needed, and they help us move further into it. But lasting change Comes in the day to day. Lasting day change can't, comes in the moment by moment. There are three lessons that we can learn this morning from Jesus dealing with this idea of resisting shortcuts because what we need to build is not high moments, but what we need to build is spiritual muscle that will sustain us through all circumstances. So from Jesus, we can see at least three understandings, three lessons this morning as we would seek to build this spiritual muscle, that we would seek to resist shortcuts and the quick fix. And the first is this, that whenever there are high times, that we should expect testing to follow them. We should expect testing to follow spiritual highs. Last week, we talked about the baptism of Jesus. We talked about the fact that at his baptism, the Spirit of God came upon him, rested on him. All who saw him be baptized there saw the Spirit descend on him and rest on him like a dove. John the Baptist knew that this was the promised Messiah because he was promised. The one who you see the Holy Spirit descend on and rest upon, he is the Messiah. And then, for all who were there, there was the attesting to the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. That Jesus was the promised Messiah that was to come. Because the Father speaks from heaven. For all to hear, and for Jesus to receive the affirmation from the Father in that moment, You are my Son. This is my Son, whom I love. And in Him, I'm well pleased. Talk about a spiritual high. (laughs) Talk about a mountaintop experience. Talk about something that was going to stick with Jesus for his whole earthly ministry. It was a mountaintop. And we're told in verse 1 of chapter 4, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. The Gospel of Mark has this account this way. It says, at once, at once, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted. There was no, let's hang out on the spiritual high for a while. There was no, let's celebrate this and let's just bask in this for a while. It was immediately, at once, the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the desert to be tempted. As I've said already, spiritual highs are needed. Mountaintop experiences are needed They're for our refreshing. They're, they're mile markers that we can look back on, and oftentimes they will set the course for what God wants to do in the next season of our spiritual lives. But spiritual muscle typically is not built on the mountaintops. Spiritual muscle typically is built in the hard and in the difficult times of testing in the faithful continuing of walking with Jesus on a regular basis. We see it evidenced with Jesus. It was the pattern for Israel in the desert. Moses, as he is giving his kind of farewell address, reminding the people as they are about to enter into the promised land of their history in the desert of 40 years, and as he is about to die and hand off the leadership of, of Israel to Joshua to be led into the promised land. He reminds them of this in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 5, that Jesus quotes from later. You'll see this. He says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you. In order to know what is in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Jesus experienced it. Israel experienced it on their way to the promised land. David speaks of it in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the quiet waters. He restores my soul. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And then he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy Follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we read that 23rd Psalm, when we think of it in light of Jesus in the desert, when we think of it in light of Israel's history, it is the Lord who leads us through these times. And oftentimes, he leads us there, testing us. It is the Lord's work. It was the Spirit who led Jesus. We can expect testing. We can expect it to build spiritual muscle, especially following spiritual highs. It's for our good. Recently, I was at a a basketball team's scrimmage. And the coach of the team was also the referee of the team, of, of the game playing. And you might think at times that if the coach was the referee of that scrimmage, that there would be a little favoritism given towards his own team. In a tight place, a call might be given to help his team. But he did the very opposite. He often let the other team get away with things and call fouls in favor of the other team. And he would stop the game at times and he'd say, okay, we're going to do this. Even though the score says this, the score is really this. And you're going to work on this. And he would put them intentionally in hard situations and make the game harder than it needed to be or should be legally. Why? Because he was a terrible coach? No. Because he was a mean guy? No. Because he had it out for his players? No. He was doing it because he knew that his players needed to have testing. He knew that his his players needed to have hard times, that they needed to build muscle individually and as a team. Testing creates that muscle spiritually, that spiritual highs don't have the capacity to. But it's important in those times of testing, not to take the shortcut. Which leads us to the second lesson. Be on guard against shortcut temptations. Verse 2 says, After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 40 days and 40 nights is significant because many times fasts are broken at sundown. And so Matthew wants us to understand that this was Forty days continuous in the desert. There would have been some water, but no food for 40 days continuously. So it is an understatement, I believe, when Matthew says he was hungry. (laughs) To not eat for 40 days, he was famished. And Jesus is tempted Jesus is tempted with three temptations. The first, and these are insights from a commentary by Michael Green, and these three purposes of these temptations. The first two are in verses 3-7, through seven, and they focus on a temporal kingdom and the fulfillment of God's promises right now. The temptations began in verse 3. The tempter came to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. The second temptation was in verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said, If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot. Against a stone. These temptations tempted Jesus to settle for a temporal kingdom and to embrace the fulfillment of the kingdom now. To turn rocks to bread, to stand on the highest point of the temple were expectations of what would happen when the Messiah arrived and the kingdom of God broke in. Green says this. He said, the rabbis had all sorts of expectations about the messianic kingdom. One of them ran like this. When King Messiah comes, he will stand upon the roof of the holy place. Then he will announce to Israel, ye poor, the time of your redemption draws nigh. Sound familiar to that second one standing on the top of the, of the temple? The rabbis were also sure that when the Messiah came there would be a repetition of the gift of manna in the desert. That is why the Jews got so excited when Jesus fell, fed the multitude in the desert. It's why in John chapter 6 verses 14 through 15 they sought to seize him and make him king right there. They knew their scriptures. They knew the writings of their rabbis. They knew that when manna in the wilderness came, that that would be a sign that the kingdom of God was breaking in. And so these two temptations, these first two temptations, would have been directly for what the people were expecting. Turn manna into bread. Or turn rocks into bread. Show that you're the Messiah. What What does Satan say? If you are the Son of Man. If you are the Messiah, if you are the one who is the Son of God, and the second one, stand on the temple. And you can prove it by calling the angels, the scriptures even say it, to protect you as you jump down. They were temptations to shortcut. But the ultimate shortcut is in verses 8 through 10. The ultimate shortcut temptation, the third one, was to compromise with Satan. Verse 8, the third temptation says, Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you if you will bow down and worship me. This third temptation, shortcut temptation, was to get all the kingdoms of the world by worshiping, and coexisting in rule rather than overthrowing Satan through the foolishness of the cross. Jesus in these shortcut temptations was being tempted to take the shortcut to being the conquering king without first being the suffering servant. The kingdom would come Through the cross. The kingdom would come through the foolish things of the world, not the wisdom of the world. The kingdom would come not by getting the kingdoms. The kingdom would come through the suffering of King Jesus. We hail the king, as we sang this morning, all hail King Jesus, not because he is the conquering king first. We hail him because he is the suffering servant first he earned kingship by suffering first this is what satan was trying to do satan was trying to give him all of the things that he rightly deserved without the cross without dying without suffering without being the servant and friends, you and I are tempted with those same things. We're tempted with a temporal kingdom. We're tempted to live for the earthly instead of for the heavenly, aren't we? For the earthly things to come rather than storing up our treasures in heaven. We are tempted for the fulfillment of all things right now instead of waiting for the fulfillment of all things In the future, we are tempted to compromise with Satan just so he will leave us alone, to coexist and to not mess with the kingdom of darkness instead of overcoming him in the authority of Christ and in the power of the Spirit. We are tempted to live for the immediate instead of for delayed fulfillment and delayed gratification. We are tempted to live for the here and now. Jesus had all these temptations brought to him. If you really are the Messiah, if you really are the Son of God, I'll give you all the things that you will get one day, but you do it my way, not the Father's way. So friends, let us be as individuals, people who say no to the shortcuts, who say no to the desires to see quick fixes and immediate gratification, to be people who say no to temporal cravings of the flesh, who do not boast about who we are or what we have, who say no to the lusts of our eyes and who seek to lay hold of the earthly things that we see before us. Let's so say no to those things. And as a people corporately, let's resist giving in to the conquering king approach in the ways that we seek to bring renewal of all things to the world. And instead, embrace the way of the suffering servant by suffering and serving in hidden and seemingly weak ways that in time spring up in life and culture change as we cooperate with what Jesus is doing around us. It's so easy to live for the here and now rather than for the kingdom to come in the slow ways. In order to do this, we must engage in this third lesson, and that is to know and resist with God's word. To know and resist with God's word. Jesus resists the shortcut temptations from Satan by quoting scripture. Each time he begins, it is written, the enemy cannot stand against the truth of God's word. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29, it says, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord and like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. The word of the Lord cannot be resisted by the evil one. He may fight against it. He may even try to use it, as he did in the second temptation. Ah, but scripture says this. And Jesus says, no, no. It's also written this. The enemy knows scripture, and he will seek to twist it. But when scripture is used, it is like, fire. It's like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. Jesus knew and he resisted with God's word. He knew the word. He studied it. He memorized it. Clearly, he spent time in it. Sometimes we think, oh, he's God. So he knew everything. It was like, Everything had been downloaded into him like a computer. Scripture was like a software program in the mind of Jesus. But he took on all the limitations that you and I have as human beings. In Luke chapter 2, at the end, talks about how Jesus grew just like you and I do, he grew in wisdom. And in stature and in favor with God and men. And so he went through all the schooling. He went through all the studying. He went through all the learning of Scripture and memorizing it that you and I do. We can't say, oh, Jesus resisted because he was God. And he was able just to quote Scripture because it was all downloaded in his head. No. Jesus was able to resist because he had his nose in the Scriptures. He was a student of the Scriptures. He was in the temple when his parents went home. He, and they left him and they said, realized, where's Jesus at as a little kid? Where's Jesus at? And they had to go search all over the place. And he's in the temple and he's discussing scripture with the teachers of the law and the rabbis of the day. And they were like, who is this kid? His parents, Mary and Joseph, where were you, Jesus? And his answer is, didn't you know I was going to be in my father's house? He was there learning. He was there with his nose in the scriptures with the rabbis, being taught, learning, debating. Jesus knew the word of God. He was able to resist because he knew it. He resisted because he knew the scriptures and he knew how to apply it to life. It's one thing to know it, It's another thing to have wisdom to know how to apply the truths of Scripture to life. Wisdom comes by living. Wisdom comes by making mistakes sometimes. Wisdom comes through counsel of other believers. Wisdom comes through dependence on the Spirit. But wisdom and resisting because we know how to apply it also comes by faith. Sometimes I wonder whether we really believe the Word of God. And here's why. When it comes to the radical things that really turn cultures upside down, that turn turn lives upside down, that build spiritual muscle, it takes believing what the Word of God says is true. And many times what we say is, oh, turn the other cheek when we've been bullied and we've been taken advantage of, surely Jesus doesn't mean that. Love our enemies when our enemies seem to have the upper hand, when the power of darkness seems to be winning. Love our enemies, forgive them. Surely that isn't what he means. Surely there's a point where you have to say enough is enough. Friends, if we sometimes apply and discount the scriptures the way we do, if we were in the position that Jesus was in that moment, we would have taken the shortcut. Know the scriptures and resist with them, but actually believe that what the word says in all of its countercultural, upside-down, this doesn't make sense, this will never work, ways actually is true. Jesus, the King of kings, the conquering one, did not go the way that would have been predominantly understood because everyone in his day said, the Messiah is the one who will overthrow Rome. The Messiah is the one who will kick all of them out. The Messiah is the one who will restore the kingdom back to Israel. And he said, uh 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 The king will do that one day. But today, the way he does it is by suffering on the cross. The conquering king does not come without first being the suffering servant. Know and resist with the word of God. So may we be people who have our noses in the word, who study it, who memorize it so that our spiritual muscles can be built, so that we can resist the enemy when he brings the shortcut temptations. And may we also be people of radical faith who are willing to believe the upside down truth that is contrary to the wisdom of the world that doesn't do things the way the world does it, even when the results are a long time in coming. Or even as for those in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, never saw what they were promised to see. The ways of God and the ways of the kingdom will often look very different than what we think is right. And they are often the shortcuts that need to be resisted. The things of the world are the shortcuts that need to be resisted. And that will build lasting spiritual muscle. May we be people who believe that the way of the suffering servant ushers in the rule of the conquering king. Let me say that one more time. May we be people who believe that the way of the suffering servant is what ultimately ushers in the rule of the conquering king. In the movie Braveheart, it's a story of William Wallace, Scottish patriot, standing against the tyranny of the English king and seeking to enforce the rule against them. And in that movie, there's this scene where all of the Scots are in line and they're ready for battle and the English cavalry is riding at them with spears and they have their armor on and they're, they're on their horses and they're barreling down on these Scots. And they're all in formation and William Wallace is standing there and they're coming and the, the force and the thunder of the horses' hooves is getting closer and closer and closer. And as they're getting closer, everyone is ready to rush and to do battle. And in that moment, William Wallace screams out, hold! Everything in them, you can see there's fear, but they also want to go do something. They want to go fight. And he gets closer, and he calls out again, hold! Gets closer. Gets closer. The cavalry is bearing down. The cavalry is almost upon them. And he calls out again, hold! Hold! And at what seems like the very last moment, when it seems like they are going to be overrun, he yells out, now! And everyone reaches down and they get these poles of wood that have been turned into spears and they lift those up just as the cavalry is upon them. The cavalry is impaled on those. And the victory is able to be won. Friends, everything in them would have been, let's go. They're coming, let's go. Let's not stand here. We are defenseless. Let's not stand here. But they did not take the shortcut. It took discipline. It took waiting. It took trust in their leader that what he said was going to work. And they were able to win the day. Friends, there are shortcuts that we are all tempted to take. Jesus was tempted with the shortcut. Prove you're the Messiah now. Let everybody know the kingdom has come, that you're the one they're waiting for. Bow down to worship me. We can coexist together. I'll give it all to you. And Jesus resisted. He didn't take the shortcut. The spiritual muscle had been built. He was able to resist because He had studied, he knew, he believed the word, and he chose the way of the suffering servant, not the way of the conquering king. When we sing all hail King Jesus, we sing it because he earned the title of king. The king of kings earned the title of king by becoming the suffering servant. And it's in the suffering, it's in the hard living out each and every day That spiritual muscle is built and that the ways of the kingdom come more in our lives and in our church and in our community when we take the way of the suffering servant, not the conquering king. So the worship team is going to come and lead us in a closing song about following Jesus. I'll follow you wherever you go, whatever this looks like. But just as a prayer application in these moments, to be asking the Lord, Is there any way, is there any way that we have taken the role of the conquering king and have shortcutted the way of the suffering servant? You can ask for yourself, but ask also for our church family. So let's go to prayer together. The worship team will lead us here um, as we conclude.